Welcome to the New Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Nickel. Hello and welcome. I'm glad you're here and I hope you're doing well. Today, I want to talk with you about managing people who are older than you. And this was something that I experienced myself. I became promoted to the team that I had been on. So I went from being peers, and in fact, I went from being one of the younger hires to then managing the team. And many of the people on that team were older than me, like they were my parents' age. And that created a little bit of a weird dynamic, both from the perspective going from peer to manager, which I know I've talked about in the past, but also from a perspective of, oh, I am now managing people who are older than me and who have been doing this job for decades. They're really good at what they do. They are experts at what they do. They have more years of experience in doing this than I do. And so that was part of the dynamic as well. And so the question of, you know, how do you effectively manage people who are older than you? In order to address this question, there are a couple of things I want to point to first. And number one is that as you move into higher levels of leadership and responsibility as a people manager, you may feel more pressure, both from the perspective of, wow, now I have more visibility. More people are looking to me to have answers to things. And also, like, just I feel more exposed because I'm in this higher level and I'm being looked at as a leader. And that just feels like more visibility. It feels like more pressure. It can also feel like pressure in the sense of there's more at stake now because it's not just me as an individual contributor, but now the decisions I make and the effect of my work ripples out and affects more people, both in terms of perhaps the clients or customers that you're able to affect because of the work that your team is doing, but also with respect to the humans on your team. You might feel a greater sense of responsibility for them and for their well-being and for their livelihood or for the well-being of the organization that you're a part of. So experiencing some pressure is normal. You know, you want to do a good job. You feel more visible. That's often part of what's going on as we're also thinking about you know, how do I do a good job as a manager and specifically with people who are older than you? Now, one of the next questions you want to ask yourself is, what do you think the job is? And I find that this really is a, a really interesting question for us to talk about when, you know, when someone comes to me and a client says, you know, I have this new team, uh, many of the people are older than me or you know, one specific person is older than me and I don't know how to manage them. When I ask them, okay, so what do you think the job is? Like why is the age part significant to the question? And it's often because of the way you're thinking about the job that is making it feel like an uncomfortable or difficult situation. So here are some specific things that the job is not. 
So the job of managing people older than you is not about knowing the most. And the job is not about having the most experience. It is also not about being right about everything. This is just true as a manager. Like as a manager, your job is not to be right about everything. (laughs) Also as a manager, your job is not to be the best in that subject matter. And that can feel weird and surprising because often we are promoted specifically because we are good at that subject matter. And early in career, you might be promoted to manage people who have less experience than you in that subject matter. And so it can feel very counterintuitive, but especially as you grow and as you go into higher levels of leadership, your job is actually not to know the most or to be the best, most right subject matter expert of all of the things. Like your job is actually to hire people who know more than you do about things that you don't know about so that you can you know, manage the efforts and the goals of all of the organization in a more effective way. It's like a different job. But I think early in our careers when we're young and our experience is that, well, my manager seems to know more than me. They seem to have more experience. They seem to be right about everything. And they seem to be have more subject matter expertise. So, you know, we want to be clear about what the job is. It is not those things, but it makes a lot of sense that we assume that it is. And that's often where we start to feel insecure or uncertain about, well, how do I manage people then who are older than me, who have more experience, who who might have a lot more subject matter expertise? Like, if that's not my job, like, what is it? What am I supposed to do here? And I will tell you, (laughs) but before I do, I want to spend a little bit more time here because when we are thinking that the job of managing people is to know the most, be right about everything and be the best in the subject matter, then what happens is that we compare ourselves to our team. Uh, We can get a bit defensive We can feel like we need to assert ourselves as the ones who know things. We can feel insecure about that. And then we'll try to correct by doing a couple of things. We can try to correct for this by becoming over-controlling or rigid. And this is where micromanaging shows up. Like I had a client a couple of years ago and she wanted to do such a good job and her team was really smart and they were subject matter experts. So she thought, I have to kind of prove that I'm on their level and that I'm even actually on top of everything. And so the way she tried to do that was she actually ended up micromanaging everybody, which didn't help the team, which didn't help her. It was, you know, micromanaging is exhausting. (laughs) It actually takes so much energy. And, you know, I think we universally understand we don't like to be micromanaged, but sometimes we do it anyways, right? So it often can come as a result of feeling uncertain or insecure and then trying to solve for that through controlling things or by being very rigid. You can also think of it as it's like you're puffing yourself up 
to try to make yourself seem bigger when you feel kind of small. The other way that we tend to overcorrect when we're not thinking about the job correctly is that we'll either abdicate or defer. So we'll say, oh, you know, I'm managing this team, but they have more experience than I do. So I, you know, I'm just going to defer to what they recommend. And, you know, I don't really know. I'm, you know, I'm still kind of new. So we abdicate responsibility. And what that does is it actually makes you smaller. And when you make yourself smaller, what happens is you're not able to advocate for yourself or your team. You're not able to have an accurate understanding of kind of what your responsibilities are. And then it ends up adding more uncertainty into the relationship system because you're not kind of standing on your own solid ground. And so it it just makes things uncomfortable for everybody. And then the other thing I see people do when we are overcorrecting around, you know, how do I manage these people is we'll go into isolation mode. And isolation often comes with overwhelm. Like we feel overwhelmed. We think, oh, I don't know everything. I need to, uh, you know, make up for my lack of knowledge. So I'm going to overconsume and I'm going to become overwhelmed by trying to cram all this information into my brain. And I'm going to pull back a bit because I don't want people to really know how uncertain I feel. And that ends up then becoming exhaustion. And when you're doing that, you're not actually able to be there for your team in a way that will help them. So instead of all of that, well, and also just to normalize, like if if any of that is familiar to you because you're like, oh, I've sometimes done that, that's a really normal thing to do. Uh, It's very human thing to do in terms of the way that we interact and relate with others. And so the important thing is you want to be able to see it and understand kind of what's going on behind that so that you can make some really clear and easeful adjustments that will bring a little more clarity, a little more certainty, and a lot more ease into the situation. So here's how I want to offer you to think about things instead. When you are managing people, and it's true of anybody, but especially when you're in the situation where you're managing people who are older than you and who have more experience, think of your job as two specific things. Number one, it is to facilitate desired outcomes. That is it. As a manager, your job is to facilitate desired outcomes. And that can look like removing obstacles, advocating for resources. It can be about, you know, connecting with the upper management and understanding the vision of what they're doing and then being able to translate and share that with your team so that they understand how they're a part of what's going on. It can be about making sure that the right people are doing the right work and that they're being recognized for it. That's part of facilitating desired outcomes. It's also about getting clear. Do you understand and do you have a a good sense of what is the desired outcome that we're trying to create together? And then how can I facilitate that from this position with 
everything that I know and that I'm bringing into this situation. So that's the first part. The second part in terms of what your job is as a manager, it's to make decisions. That can be everything from making decisions about what people need to be working on and when, right? Making decisions about prioritizing work, making decisions about assigning or delegating work, making decisions about staffing. Do we need to hire more people? Or if we have people leaving, now you need to make decisions about how that person's work is going to be allocated. I have been in that position too, by the way. It is not a lot of fun. And this is where your skill in being able to develop trust and have a lot of empathy and compassion and your skill in communicating clearly with kindness will serve you so much. Back when I was a manager and I was managing this team of these really skillful people who had so many more years of experience than me, we went through a time where people were leaving, but the company had a hiring freeze. So what happens when there's a hiring freeze, but people leave? Everybody who remains ends up doing more work. And my team was already working really hard. Morale was not the best, understandably. And one of the things I had to figure out how to address was the questions people were asking, you know, when are we going to hire somebody? Don't they know they, meaning hire management, right? Don't they know, you know, how how much extra work we're having to do because we can't hire new people? Don't they know? And so for me, it was in this position of, okay, I actually don't have any power to hire more people. Like, so I can't quote unquote solve the problem in that way. And I also really was not, you know, I you know in a position to kind of take their complaints and go back to my manager and say, "Yeah, you know, is there anything we can do <laughs> to get more people?" Like that that was not something that was going to happen. And also at the time, I would say my skill of advocacy was not as strong as it has since become. And so the way I chose to address that as a manager was coming at it from a very human perspective, which was number one, to be like, yes, you're absolutely right. Everyone has been working hard and now we are having to take on more work. And yes, it does suck. I'm not going to tell you that it doesn't. Yeah, this is, this is the part that is not fun. And the other choice I made was I want to remind people of kind of why we're here and I want to connect them with a, a sense of appreciation and also a sense of capability. So number one, saying, you know what? And I, I see how well you deal with change. I've seen how well you pull together because I know you care so much for the customer and for the way that our, our work and our product is going to make a real difference for them and you know, for the whole, for the, the whole ecosystem of our industry. And so acknowledging, addressing the emotion, being able to remind them of, and, you know, you are so good at this and I so appreciate everything you've given. I know this is hard and I will see like what is possible, but right now I don't have better answers for you, right? Being also very open about what was within my ability to make any changes or not 
it actually helped. It actually helped. And this is where, you know, we think in order for things to be better, we need to change something outside of us, like the timeline or the budget or the headcount or, you know, whoever is making decisions in the higher higher leadership roles or, you know, we need to change our customers because our customers are so demanding, right? Like we, we often think that if we're going through something really difficult, we need to change all these extra things around us. When sometimes your greatest point of leverage is simply by being really present, by connecting as a human, by communicating clearly, by bringing calm and responsiveness into the relationship rather than bringing that tension or the rigidity or the, um, you know, conflict, right? Like it, it really is a a gentle and sort of very sustainable approach that can be incredibly effective. So what you want to do, what I want to offer as a the perspective around this then is to remember what is the job? What do you think the job is? Remember that it's ultimately to facilitate desired outcomes and make decisions. And so there are three ways that you can approach this when you're in a situation where you're asking yourself, like, how do I how do I manage these people who are older than me? How do I manage the people who have more experience than me? Number one is you want to get present. That means you want to look at the specific facts of the team and the situation. You want to get really specific about the context, what what here is really going on. With my experience and in my team, I was working with a team that I had already known, like I wasn't an unknown figure to them. So there was already a certain amount of trust that we had established. And I also knew they were really good at what they did. So I wasn't in a position of needing to, you know, onboard them. Like they knew the company, they knew the product, they knew the customers so well. So I had a lot of clarity about what my actual role was in order to facilitate desired outcomes. So for you in your situation, you want to get specific. What is the context? What are all the facts about the team and the situation and some of the relationship dynamics? Number two, get curious. How are we going to work together? That's the number one question everybody wants to know. They want to know if you are coming in as their new manager, how are we going to work together? For me, I was going from peer to then managing that was still the question everybody wanted to know. Okay, so like, what does this mean for me? How are we going to work together? You want to spend some time exploring that question. And remember, it's not. it doesn't even have to be something that you decide and then implement against them, right? This can be a conversation that you have with your team. Let's talk about how we're going to work together. And you can be really open with what your blind spots are and then empower them to help you to understand so that you can have a really satisfying working relationship together. So that curiosity piece, how are we going to work together? What will we need in order to make this really effective and really satisfying so that we can perform at a high level and make sure that all of our work gets done? And then finally, you want to bring kindness both to yourself, number one, and also to the people that you work with. 
Kindness for yourself means realizing I'm not going to be perfect and perfection is not even the point. It is about process. It is about presence. It is about learning as we go and moving forward. So bring kindness to yourself. That's also what takes some of the pressure off. And when you're not functioning under pressure and exhaustion, you're able to show up as just a better version of you. And then kindness towards the team, I like to think of in terms of generosity of spirit or benefit of the doubt. Remembering, look, we're all on the same team here. We all want to do great work. We're going to figure out how to do that. And we're going to do it from this place of kindness. And when you bring the kindness into the way that you work with yourself and your team, then what happens is you're also able to be more clear and direct because you're not doing it from being defensive or guarded. You're actually doing it from this place of kindness. And when you're able to do that, it brings clarity. And when you're able to bring clarity, it functions like certainty. And we humans, we like certainty. (laughs) Uncertainty, very uncomfortable. Certainty, we love that. Makes us able to relax. And so we want to have a manager who brings some certainty, some clarity, some confidence, but not in a way that is micromanaging or trying to you know, overcome or sort of mask an inner insecurity, right? Which is why, like as humans, it's so valuable when we're able to really tend to our own internal well-being because then we're able to show up in just a completely different way. So that's, those are my thoughts on, you know, the first, the first level of when you're managing people older than you, remember what the job is not, right? It's not about knowing the most. It's not about having the most experience. It really is simply about facilitating desired outcomes and making decisions. And the way that you do that first with presence, get clear on context, get clear on facts of your situation and team, then bring that curiosity. How are we going to work together? And then bring a lot of kindness to yourself as a human, to your team as humans, bring a sense of generosity of spirit, and that process will get you through. Thank you so much for listening. It's always a treat to share these episodes with you. And if you want to work with me one-on-one, reach out, schedule a consult. Let's talk about what's going on. I do have room for more individual clients and I'd love to help you out. So I'll put some notes in the show notes below and I'll talk to you next time. Bye. Hey, before you go, if you like this podcast, leave a review. Tell me why you listen and what has helped you. Thanks so much. I'll see you next time.